theyeshiva.net. Today's class, this week's classes, in fact, including today's class, is dedicated by our dear friends, Liz and Dr. Michael Michelle, from the pillars of our community here in Muncie, in memory of Liz's father, Rav Yisrael Yitzchak Halevi Ben Harav Bin Yamin, who passed away 22 years ago on the 11th day of Tevis. Rabbi Irving Levi, Zechrena Levracha, was a respected Talmud Chacham, a legendary Balchesed, and one of the earliest founders of the Muncie community, one of the great pillars of this beautiful community, and somebody who became an ear and a voice for countless people who needed help, guidance, mentorship, both materially, emotionally, spiritually, for individuals and families. May his memory serve as an everlasting source of light, blessing, and inspiration to you, to the entire family, to all of us, to all of Rockland County, to the entire Rockland County community, and to all of the Jewish people, to and thank you very, very much for your friendship and for your contribution and for your dedication and for your love. Happy birthday also to Chana Gortz on the 13th of Tevis, dedicated by Elliot Kaplan. Thank you so, so much, and a year of tremendous blessing and success to you and to all of your loved ones among all of uh, the good people in the world. Today, we're going to learn, Be'ezer Hashem, a piece from the Mar Vashemesh, one of the early Hasidic masters in the third generation of uh, second or third generation of uh, of uh, Chassidus was one of the great sages and rabbis was known as the Mar Vashemesh. I'm soon going to give you a very brief biography. I like always to give a little historical context. This is going to be a piece we're going to learn. I took out a segment of his Sefer, Mar Vashemesh on Parshas Vayichi. And afterwards, a piece from the Baal Shem Tev, articulated by his grandson, the Degel Machin Ephraim. Let's begin with the first piece. If you open your source sheets, you right away see the first source is a quote from Parshas Vayichit, Perik Memtes, Posek Hei. That's Genesis chapter 49, verse 5. Let's remember the context. Yaakov Avinu, our patriarch Yaakov, is about to say goodbye to this world. And he gathers all of his children around his bed, and he speaks to each one of the children. He speaks about their future. He blesses them. He discusses some of their challenges. Ruuvein is the first one. He speaks to him about the fact that he is his oldest. In, in many ways, he had more power and more strength than the other brothers. He says, you were the beginning of my strength, the genesis of my strength. But then he chastises Ruuvein for an event that happened in his life many, many years ago when he interfered into the private life of Yaakov, which we learned back in Parshas Vayishlach, the story with Bila after, after Rachel's passing. And uh, that's his message to Reuven. Then comes the next two brothers, Shimon and Levi. Let's see. What does he tell them? His message to them consists of three verses. 49 verse 5, 6 and 7. Perik Memtes, Pasuk Hei, Let's read together. Shimon Vilevi Achim, 
Shimon and Levi are brothers. Their weapons are weapons of robbery. Or as Rashi puts it, their weapons are stolen instruments. They're stolen. Next Pasuk. Let my soul not enter their counsel, their secrets. Let not my honor join their assembly, their kahal. Why? Because in their wrath they killed a man, and with their will they hamstrung a bull. Next verse. Arur apam ki az. Cursed be their anger, for it's so fierce. Ve'evrasam ki kashasa. And their wrath, which is so relentless. Achal kem be Yaakov, afitzim be Yisrael. I will divide them throughout Yaakov, throughout Jacob, throughout the nation, and I will scatter them throughout Yisrael, throughout Israel. That's the message of Yaakov to Shimon and Levi. Then, afterwards, he goes to Yehuda. Yehuda ato yeducha We now come to the Mar Shemesh. Right after that, you see Mar Who is the Mar Shemesh? One of the great early Hasidic masters was a man named Rabbi Kloinimus Kalman Epstein. Epstein. He was born in Poland in 1751. That's nine years before the Baal passed away. He passed away in Krakow on the first day of Tammuz, Tov Kuf Pei Gimel, 1823. So he's born in 1751. He passes away in 1823. He's known in the Hasidic world as the Ma'er V'Shemesh, which is a term from Tehillim, because that's the name of his Hasidic work. He was born in Poland. As a child, they moved to Krakow, and he was known as a, as a child prodigy. As a teenager... A young man, he became cognizant of one of the greatest Hasidic masters of the day, the Rebbe Reb Elimelech of Lezhensk, known as the Noyem Elimelech, who was a student of the Magid of Mizrich, who was, of course, the successor of the Baal Shem Tev. I think Reb Melech visited Krakow, and that's where Reb Kleinemus Kalman met him. He became one of the greatest students of the Noyem Elimelech, of Reb Melech of Lezhensk, and after some years, around Tovkov Memhei, which would mean 1785, he, he moved to Lezhensk to be by his Rebbe. He moved back to Krakow and he began teaching there and began spreading the teachings of Hasidus. There was strong and fierce opposition in Krakow because of the local spiritual leadership. There was Rabbi Yitzchak Halevi Landau and his Bezdin. They banned him from allowing to teach and spread his Torah. But over the years, things became calmer and as the Hasidic teachings began to spread in Western Galicia, the opposition calmed down and the name of Reb Kloinimus Kalman became known as a, one of the great holy men and the great mystics of his time. He also was a student of the, the Magid of Zlotchev, Rabbi Chiel Michal of Zlotchev, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tev. After the passing of Rabbi Limelech of Lezhensk in 1787, he also became a student of the Chayza Melublin, the Seer of Lublin, Rabbi Yaakov Yitzchak Alevi Horowitz, as well as Rabbi Mendel Miriminov, Rabbi Mendel Miriminov, and Rabbi Yisrael of Koshnitz, known as the Koshnitz of Magid, Avodis Yisrael. These are the great luminaries of the Hasidic movement in Poland. Mar Veshemesh is the name of his work. Mar means the luminary and the sun. 
Ma'or V'Shemesh. It's from Tehillim Atach, Inoisa Ma'or V'Shemesh. It was published the first time a few years, a few decades, two decades after, around two decades after he passed away. And it became quite well-known and is still very well-known in the world of Hasidism. <coughs> He's buried, as I said, he passed away in Tammuz, 1823, and is buried in the cemetery in Krakow. There's a lot of fascinating teachings in Marv Shemesh, and the one we're learning today is certainly extremely, extremely fascinating, especially considering the time it was written in. Uh, let's get right to it. Clear, everybody? Any questions? Okay. This is the whole piece, word for word. Apparently, this is misunderstood. This is not un- not to understand. That Yaakov, our father, should not bless these two holy tribes, these two holy brothers, Shimon and Levi. The only one, not a single positive word. No word of encouragement, no blessing. It's true they received a blessing as part of the collective of the Jewish family. As the Torah says later that Yaakov blessed all of them and Rashi says that he gave every, he conferred all of the blessings on all of them. But that's collectively. But specifically, in terms of the unique message that he gave them, there is not a positive word of blessing, only chastisement, only negativity. This needs explanation. This needs insight. Even Reuven, whom he also chastises for interfering in the private life of Yaakov. But at least he begins, you're my pchur, you're my oldest, you're the beginning of the family, you represented my foremost primal strength, reishi v'kaychiz oini, yeser se'ez v'yeser ez. He also encourages him and builds him up. But Shimon and Levi, it's all negative. He right away starts, your brothers, your stolen instruments, your weapons, your, 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 your war weapons are stolen instruments. I don't want to have to do with you. I don't want my soul to be part of your secret. I don't want my honor to be part of your assembly because of what you have done. Your wrath is relentless and fierce, and I'm just going to scatter you among the Jewish people. You shouldn't be together. And that's why the descendants of Shimon and Levi did not live in one territory. As Rashi explains, the descendants of Shimon were teachers and scribes, and they traveled the country, and Levi, they lived in different cities, many different cities, and they also had to go around in order to get the tithing of the Jewish people, which were given to the Levites. So these words of Yaakov indeed materialized in Jewish history. But the Marva Shemesh is asking, how do we understand that on his deathbed, these two brothers, the only thing he says to them is something negative. Wow, what a question, huh? Venera. So he's going to give a, what you would call uh, a spiritual homiletical answer and explanation to Yaakov's words on a deeper level. Venera. This is what it seems to me. He's now going to describe a certain character. And later, later in the piece, he's going to give the German Yiddish name for this person. <laughs> I put it in the title already. <laughs> so that's a sneak preview. Venera. Midderech Isha Yisraeli Shazoich Lira Amitis. 
the path of a Jewish man, a Jewish person, who merits to have real awe of God, and serves Hashem with complete truth, he becomes his greatest critic. He's always finding flaws in himself, and he's very humble. He always finds things that he has done wrong, sins, transgressions, errors, mistakes. Even though objectively they may be pretty thin as a hair strand, but in his eyes it's like a thick beam. It's not a hair strand, it's like a thick kaira, like a thick rafter. And he's, he gets upset at himself, he criticizes himself. He's perturbed with himself. When people come to talk to him, it seems like he's angry, he's upset. But the truth is, he's not angry at them as much as he's angry at himself. Because he feels that his service of Hashem has taken, his service of Hashem is in, very incomplete. In other words, the Marv Hashem is describing the Jew who's always challenging himself because he's always trying to refine himself and work on himself and grow. And he really has real Yerushalayim, he really has awe of heaven, and he's trying to serve Hashem with absolute dedication and authenticity and integrity. He's not busy uh, covering up for himself. He's not busy, you know, patting himself on the back and giving himself compliments. He's not busy filling out his checklist, I did this, I did this, I did this, and now I could plop down on the couch and say, Sisu b'nei mei Sisu, you know, bang my stomach, you know, as the, as the gorillas do, and say, hey, I'm the greatest guy. He's not that person. There's a humility in him because he always knows that the human mind is so biased and so subjective and human temptation comes so easy. And therefore he always... He always sees what's missing, and there's this humility, and he always finds, you know, this was wrong, and this was wrong. He's very hard on himself. Now, when you want to communicate with this person, you get this sense, there's a certain heaviness, there's a certain intensity, let me call it, there's a certain certain intensity that comes from profound introspection. So he says, when you meet him, he's upset. Who is he upset at? He's upset at himself. This is in sync with what I heard from the great pious Jew. Butzine Kadisha means the holy Butzine is like a pillar of light, the holy pillar of light. Reb Naftali, the great rabbi of Rupshitz. He's known as Reb Naftali Rapshitzer. He was a contemporary of Reb Kleinimus Halevi Epstein. In fact, Reb Naftali Rapshitzer's name was Horowitz, Reb Naftali Tzvi Horowitz. He was born on the day the Baal Shem Tov passed away. He was born Shvuas Tovkov Chav, which means nine years after Reb Kleinimus Kalman. He was born in 1760 on Shvuas, and he passed away a few years before Reb Kleinimus Kalman, Yud Aleph Ir Tovkov Pei Zayin, which is 18. 27. He was one of the great Hasidic masters in Poland, in Galicia, and he lived in a city called Rupschitz, and that's why he's known as Reb Naftali of Rupschitz. In fact, he too 
as a young person, became close to the Hasidic movement, and he was a student of Rebbe Limelech of Lezhensk, the Noyem Limelech, just like the Mar Shemesh. He was also a student by Rebbe Michal Zlotchev, Rebbe Chiel Michal Zlotchev, the student of the Baal Shem Tev. He was also a student later of the Kajnitz Magid, Reb Mendele of Rimenov, the Chayiz of Lublin, just like Reb Kleinem is common, also Reb Mordechai of Neshchiz. And uh, he became the rabbi in the city of, of Rupschitz and became known as one of the greatest masters, Hasidic masters in his day. He passed away in Lansut, as I said, 1827, Yud that's where he is, he is buried. So the Moir Veshemesh is quoting here what he heard from Reb Naftali of Rapshitz, and it seems like he heard it directly from him. Sha'amar, he explained. Shazel de Issa Gemara. This is what the Gemara says. I added here in parentheses where this Gemara is, especially some of you just finished learning Maseches Tainis, and I want to wish you a big Mazel Tov. So I hope you still remember this Gemara from Maseches Tainis, do you? Davdal Rabban Aleph, whoever learned Maseches Tainis, the Gemara says as follows. Rav said, Hai Talmud Chacham Sherotach. When you see a Tzurvim Rabbanan, when you see a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar. Sherotach. Rotach means he's very angry. He's agitated, agitated, heated, upset. You should know, forgive him. Rashi says, <laughs> Give him the benefit of it. It's the Torah. That's that's causing this agitation, causing this upsetness. Rashi says something very interesting there. Rashi says that the learning of Torah makes a person more sensitive and he takes things to heart much more. So Rashi says over there, interesting. It's the Torah that's making him making him upset. It's the Torah that's making him agitated. And what does this mean? What does this mean? Later, the Gemara says as we're soon going to see, that despite this, right, despite this, he's going to quote soon the end of the Gemara, despite this, a person, you know, the person has to learn to be calm and, and collective and, and kind. But Rava says, when you see, when you see him agitated and upset, it's because of the Torah. Now, what does this mean? So the Mara Veshemesh says, this is what I heard from Reb Naftali of Rapshitz. The Hainu Kanal, it means what we were talking about. You know, he's upset at? He's upset at himself. Because when he's full of Torah, he feels that he did not immerse himself and learn Torah in the most appropriate way, with the proper awe and the proper love. Or he didn't fulfill the mitzvahs of Torah in a way that is appropriate and suitable for him, even if for another person it's perfect, but for him not, based on his standards. So therefore he's agitated with himself, he's angry at himself, he's upset at himself. When you see him upset, he's not upset at you. He's upset at himself, he lives with an inner tension, with an inner lack of satisfaction and upsetness. Says the Shemesh. Such a tzaddik, such a righteous person, he's righteous, he's a good man. He's a moral, rather very morally sensitive person. But he cannot be integrated with the masses, with the people. He serves Hashem in a segregated, isolated way, on his own, 
Why? Because he's in the state of upsetness. He's upset at himself because of something that occurred that he feels was inappropriate and he could have done better. He says, something that he nullified. He did not manage to do or do at least perfectly. And it happened to him and therefore he has this, as I said, very intense introspection. So it's very hard for him to be integrated with the masses because he's living in a, in a, in a very introspective way. There's a certain, uh, let's not call it bitterness, but there's a certain frustration or there's a certain intensity. What is more, he explains even more. It's also very difficult for him to speak to people about things of the world, about what's going on in their life, which they may want to talk about and they may need to have a listening ear for. Because in his mind, he is going away from serving God. So it's difficult for him to integrate, to mix with people. So therefore he feels the need to be isolated. He serves Hashem on his own. His relationships with people are very compromised. Says the Ma'arivah even though it's a great level. You're talking about a lofty person, somebody who's trying to work on himself and do the right thing and go and grow in his or her emotional, spiritual, psychological service of Hashem. And they're always challenging themselves. It's a great lofty level. It's not the ultimate truth. This person is still living in the world of depression. <laughs> In the world of melancholy, I'm not laughing at what he's saying. I'm laughing at the intensity of what he's saying. Like, he's a great person, and he commends him. He says it's a great level, because this person is really trying to work on himself. But he says there's something missing in the truth here. He's a person of integrity. He's not a person who's doing this for other people. No, he's a person of integrity. But he says he lives by Sitra. Sitra means the side. Sitra in Aramaic is the side, like Sitra Achara. Sitra is the side in the realm, in the world, the Marish Chayra of, of, of melancholy, of dejection, of, of despondency. In other words, this is a lifestyle of one of, I'm never good enough. There's always that internal critic. Now, it's not an internal critic that's just trying to knock me down. That's trying to knock me down because... Uh, because I'm insecure. That's not what he's talking about. Obviously, that also may be happening. You know, sometimes we have the internal critic because this part of me that always feels I'm not good enough and I'm bad and, and I'm negative. But even like, talking about a person that what he's, he's using it to serve God, right? Nonetheless, he says, it puts you in a sitra de marish chayre. It puts you, you're living in a place of, of negativity, of despondency. If it's sarich and indeed, it may be caused, I'm saying this, it may be caused because we have those parts in us that become internal critics. Maybe I, I, somehow I feel if I'm not always criticizing myself, I'm not good enough. Whatever it may be, whatever the cause may be, the bottom line is even this person who's harnessing it in a, in a productive way, in a meaningful way, in a spiritual way, he says, but the person is living in a space of depression, of melancholy. You ought to know. 
when you have an opportunity, something happens that's going to take you away from your regular service of Hashem. For example, schmoozing with people about things of the world. You're not talking to them in learning. You're going to talk to them about their needs, their concerns, their issues, your issues. You're going to talk to people. You're going to connect the people on their terms where they are. He has to know, Shazel Gamkein Avdus Hashem. This is also serving Hashem. V'tzarech Lavad Hashem B'chol Eifanim Shabbaoylam Loi B'fayfanach HaTamet. Avaydas Hashem doesn't look one way. It doesn't have one color. We serve Hashem through every different type of method and every different venue in the world. We don't always consistently use one method to serve Hashem. Kemaimir HaKasav, like Shlema HaMalach says in Mishle, in Proverbs. King Solomon says, In all of your ways you should know him. In all of your ways. There's no one path at which you serve Hashem. This person that we were describing feels that only when he is isolated or segregated, insulated, completely detached from people, aloof and sublime, challenging himself more and more, that's where he's connecting to Hashem. And that's why it's so hard for him to connect to the masses, to integrate with people. As we say, he feels like it's a waste of time and he's going away from Avaidah Hashem and the internal critic doesn't let him do that. He's also generally in an intense mode. He can't really connect to people because they feel he's angry, even though he's angry at himself. Says the Mari Vashemesh, but Avaidah Hashem in the most genuine way doesn't look one way. Obviously, there are times of Avaidah Hashem that are very insulated when you spend time with yourself and with your God in prayer, in meditation, in study, certain mitzvahs you do. He says, but we serve Hashem through endless methods, through everything in life. In all of your ways you should know Him. When I'm talking to somebody, when I'm shmooing with somebody, that's also Avaidus Hashem, that's also Dveikas in Hashem. We once learned a vart from the Mayor, I, I once shared with you a beautiful vart from the Mayor Enayim, was the women's class of Parshas Vayera. The Mayor Enayim was written by Reb Nochem of Chernobyl, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tev and the Maggit. He passed away, Tovkov Nun 1798, 1797, in Aleph Cheshvan. Reb Nochem Tversky, Reb Nochem Chernobyl, the father of the Chernobyl Amagad, Reb Matla Chernobyl. He says something beautiful. Avramavinu turns to Hashem, Hashem appears to Avramavinu, and, and then Avramavinu sees the three guests, the three Bedouin Arabs that are approaching and walking by his tent, and he runs out and he invites them to the home. And he turns to Hashem, At least one of the interpretations, he turns to Hashem and he says, please don't leave from your servant. He, you know, he excuses himself and he says, you know, I have to take care of all of these guests, please don't leave. So he asks Hashem to stay there, to stay put, until he finishes tending to his guests, which may have taken a few hours. And this is from where our sages learned that that welcoming guests is greater. Inviting guests to the house is greater than welcoming the divine presence. Ask Samar and I don't understand. I thought Hashem is everywhere. As Uncle Moishi sings with us, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. Up, up, down, down, right, left, and all around. So what do you mean? So what does it mean that Avram says to Hashem, please don't leave my house. Where is God going to go? <laughs> He's going to go to Shul? He's going to go to the base Medrash? He's going to go to the grocery store? If Hashem is is everywhere, everything, so He's here anyway. 
Ah, Reb Nachum Chernobyl says, what Avram Avinu was asking Hashem is, don't leave from me. Don't go away from me when I'm being involved and immersed in tending to my guests. He's going to be serving them three tongues with mustard. He's going to be serving them yogurt and cream cheese and milk. He's going to be giving them a lavish meal and tending to their needs and schmoozing with them and asking them what they need and having a great conversation with them and have a great time together. And it's very easy for a person to feel that that's the moment when I'm being De- when I'm becoming detached, so to speak, from Hashem, from the Rebbeinu Shalom. Allow me to experience my intimacy with you at these moments of being there with my guests, just like in the moments when it's just you and I in an absolute transcendent moment of intimacy. That's what the Mar Hashem is saying. In all of your ways, you know Him. And in this true path of Yiddishkeit, a person ought to be not tense, a person to, ought to be always joyous. Are you challenging yourself? And according to your perception, there are things in the service of Hashem that you're taking the short path, and therefore you're upset. Even if there are times of introspection, and we're not nullifying introspection, but right after that, it has to bring you to joy. This is a theme that's discussed at length also in Tanya, in chapter 26 and 27 and 28 and 29, 30, 31, 30, all the way through chapter 34, 26 through 34 in Tanya. The main point he's saying is, the mode of a Jew needs to be besimcha, not thinking how I'm not good and negative. First thing he says is, you're serving Hashem through many different methods, and you don't have to go into isolation. And you don't have to be in a place of endless introspection with an internal critic that tells you how bad you are. The state of the Jew is tamid besimcha. In fact, the end of Shulchan Aruch, Erechayim, speaks about the celebrations of the first other when there's a leap year, like this year. Right? Should we make a celebration on Purim Katan? And the Ramah finishes off the whole Shulchan Aruch Erechaim, the last words of the Ramah, quoting again the Navi, Toiv, quoting the Tanakh, Toiv, Lev, Mishta, Tamit. Toiv, Lev, Mishta, Tamit. A good heart <coughs> is always in a state of feasting. Of course, according to Allah, and every day has its unique. It's unique gifts, it's unique avoid, it's unique opportunities. But the mode of a Jew, he says, is tamad basimcha. Not in a depression, always happy. Always joyous. Always know that right now and have an opportunity to connect to truth, to be part of truth, to serve Hashem, to be one with Hashem. I, I could find this flaw and this flaw and that flaw and that flaw. He says, okay, if you have to correct something, you'll correct it. But right away, go into a state of joy. This internal critic that schleps you down and always tells you how guilty you are and that it's a mitzvah to be anxious, he says, that's not the real way of a Jew. And then your mind becomes integrated with people. You connect with people. You could become close to people. That's what the Gemara finishes over there. Despite the fact that Rav justified the Talmud Chachem and said, 
you're getting upset because of your Torah, you feel that your Torah is incomplete and therefore you're upset. He says, nonetheless, a person has to learn, a Tabachachim has to learn, he has to teach himself to be happy, to be content, to be satisfied. Now we're going to come back to understand the saga of Shimon and Levi. Wow. We're going to get to Shimon and Levi now, but I like to take some comments here, questions, so let's go. Okay, Reb Mendel says, this is Givaldic. Some people revel. They revel and marvel in fakvechkeit, in being, what's the word fakvechkeit? Recoiled. They revel in their misery. They don't know how to relax and enjoy life. Some go so far as to connect as to connect their misery with their Yiddishkeit. They call it frumkeit. And they feel the more frum, the more miserable. And the more miserable, they become more frum. Reb Mendel, you stole the word that he's going to use here soon. (laughs) You stole the word he's going to use here soon. Let's see. Question, but we all learn to criticize ourselves because it hurts less to criticize ourselves than to be criticized by others. Ooh, very deep, very deep. Yes, so let me tell you something. We have an internal critic, and some of us Jews have it a little more than other people, maybe, I don't know. What do they say? A Jew feels guilty, and if he doesn't feel guilty, he blames himself. But that internal critic is a voice that doesn't, doesn't stop sometimes. And it's always questioning and always delegitimizing. You make a beautiful event, right? Some of you are out there leading communities. You make a beautiful event, you come home, and you have something negative to say to yourself. You come home from a beautiful simcha, and you have something negative to say to yourself. Inside, whatever you do, you can't win. If you win, we'll find the flaw. And if you lost, ah, we always knew you were a loser. But that internal critic, Demar Vashemesh is saying, Sometimes it could be harnessed in a positive way, and sometimes it brings people to do good things. And maybe some people's souls are just designed that way, and sometimes when they learn seriously and they're over Hashem, they really take it seriously, and they develop it. They develop it. But the Kleinemus Kalman says it's not emes lamite. This is not the real, ultimate, authentic way. He said, I could respect it, have compassion for it. You know, We don't have to delegitimize everything. Understand it. Understand where it's coming from. But then realize there's something much deeper, there's something more true. Because yes, we have this sometimes for many of us, this is true. This internal critic in us has become who it has become because it's trying to protect us. It's very often a survival mechanism. You know, let me give you an example. And if this resonates with you, please share this with me because I would really be interested in knowing this. Sometimes you may feel deep, deep down, listen to me, that you're not deserving of love. Sometimes you really, really feel that deep down, if somebody would know who you are, if all the garments were removed, if the truth came out, nobody would love you. Sometimes deep, deep down, we suffer from this tremendous, tremendous lack of inner confidence. And therefore, I have to become my most internal critic to make sure that my true colors don't show, that I'm always going to be better. I have to. I have to, I always have to criticize myself because if I let down my guard, if I just relax, what's going to happen? Somebody may see who I am. I'm always on, at, on the edge. I'm always at edge. 
I'm always on the alert. It's always a crisis. That's one, one level. Maybe if I was criticized in a very deep way as a child and I just don't feel worthy as who I am, I need to be my greatest internal critic. Now that is so sad because that's the place where I live in. And I have to be able to tell my internal critic, you know, you're doing a good job. You did a wonderful job protecting me. But could you ensure and give confidence to your inner child and say, you're a you're good. And we don't need the internal critic to always protect us. This is just one manifestation of it. Question, is the problem the introspection or the resulting negative feeling? What if introspection leads to motivation, positive resolve that doesn't come from a negative place? That's wonderful. That's what he says. Even if I made mistakes, we all make mistakes. And I should learn from my mistakes. I botched up. Tomorrow I got to do better. But what does he say? But why is that leading you into upsetness and agitation and melancholy? That's already coming from a different place. That's already telling me that there's something essential that's just bad. Let me learn from it and move on. The fact is that we often become internal critics simply to keep our supposed flaws covered. I'm going to be my greatest critic, you know why? Because if not, you're going to be my greatest critic. And I'm frightened. It's a very, very, this is a serious thing, by the way. This is a very serious issue. For those of you who deal with it, you know how you deal with it. It's not easy. It's not a simple thing. Comes the Moev Shemesh and said, among the children of Yaakov, there were two of them who dealt with this. This was their struggle. V'nach let's go back to our discussion. Shimon v'levi l'fi madregosim shohayu madrega g'doy levoi oivdim as Hashem b'yira mitis al yidei ken hoyu b'kaas al oivri avera. Shimon and Levi were in a very lofty spiritual level and they served Hashem with true awe, with true fear. And therefore they were upset, they were agitated with sin, with transgression. This is what happened by Shechem. The Pasuk says in Vayishlach, Shimon and Levi, the two brothers of Dina, each of them took a sword and they killed out the entire city of Shechem. Why them? Yaakov was upset at them. Yaakov says, You made us look so bad, they'll all come, they'll all come and gang up on us and, 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 and slay us all. And what was their answer? Will we allow our sister to be violated and abused and abducted in such a way? Why Shimon and Levi? Says the Marv Shemesh, because Shimon and Levi could not tolerate any form of, of sin, of corruption, of negativity. They were the great zealots who stood up to it. He says, They couldn't integrate with people well. It always appeared that they were upset at people. The truth is, the truth is they were upset at themselves. It was the Torah that was making them upset. It was their feeling of inadequacy, of their flaws in their learning and their mitzvahs. That's what made them agitated and made them upset. 
They were very allergic to any flaw in themselves, to anything challenging in themselves. They couldn't accept themselves. They were always challenging themselves, stimulating themselves. But it also results in the fact that I'm in a, I'm in a difficult state. I'm in a very intense, intense space of introspection and demanding for myself more and more and deeper. There was very deep criticism in them. And in fact, that's what happens with Yosef. As we learn later in Parches Vayeshev, one man tells his brother, let's kill Yosef. Who was it? Doesn't say clearly in Chubash, but as Rashi says, it was Shimon and Levi. Just as they stood up to Shechem because they felt that they could not tolerate sin, as he says, they had this tremendous agitation with Ovidi Aveda when they saw evil, when they saw corruption. But this didn't come because they were evil people, because they loved the fight, because they wanted to kill. He says, no, it's a It was their relationship with Hashem that was one of very, very harsh intensity. And therefore they couldn't integrate with people. As he says, such a person, it's very hard for me because I feel like I'm wasting time and I should be doing other things. And it's also hard to connect to people because they feel that I'm angry and I'm upset. I'm upset at myself, yeah. I'm upset myself. It's just a certain mode of life. Those of you who know such people, you know what you know what he's talking about. And I guess the Ma'ar Vashemesh had first-hand experience of a lot of such people. If you wish, Suzanne says, is it possible that they were trying to live up to Yaakov's expectations of them and their comparison to Yosef, who had Yaakov's love? And therefore they felt so upset and inadequate because they felt that Yaakov's expectations and Yitzchak's expectations, Avram's expectations were so deep. That's part of it. Perhaps when they looked at who their father is and who their grandfather is and who their great-grandfather was, the expectations were so profound and maybe Yosef, who really got the approval of his father, you're saying it made him just feel so much less adequate and therefore they, they despised Yosef. Listen, we can analyze it on different levels. You're talking about great people here, but there's different levels of analyzing it. And certainly the way we apply it to our lives, all of these things are very big factors that sometimes my brother or my sister or my friend or somebody else is triggering me in such a deep way because they're making me cognizant and aware of certain things I'm lacking and therefore I become agitated with them. That is a very, very real and genuine experience that we have. So they have this deep, deep spiritual zealousness towards themselves, and it comes out with Shechem. They just can't tolerate it. They cannot tolerate it. They cannot relax and look at it from different perspectives and say maybe there's a different approach to deal with this. What do they do? They go and they kill out Shechem. This is reflective of the world they live in. Is it possible that what he's saying is that the more somebody is lofty or pious, the harsher he or she is in judgment of themselves and of human behavior in generally, and they expect a somewhat perfect, pious attitude within themselves and others. Yes, that's exactly his point. If they weren't lofty, they wouldn't have this challenge because they were sublime and they were really pious. They were trying to do the right thing. It expressed itself in a lack of tolerance from themselves and therefore from others as well. Yaakov is now on his deathbed. Listen to this. He wants to speak to his children. And each child he tunes into their neshama, to their soul. And the Ma'ar Shemesh very movingly says that Yaakov is going to teach these two brothers of a different approach to Yiddishkeit, of a different approach to serving God. And even though at the surface Yaakov's words seem so harsh, he says, 
when you understand what he's saying, they're actually very loving and very moving and even forgiving. You have to listen to the words, or to put it differently. Because Shimon and Levi were so tough on themselves, Yaakov couldn't just communicate to them with lovey-dovey, affectionate words. That wouldn't hit the spot. Because they would feel Yaakov is just patronizing them, and really coming down, descending from his own spiritual space, just to, uh, just to placate them. They didn't, want pl- they didn't want to be placated that way. Yaakov spoke to them very harshly, apparently, but in those words, in those intense words, was deep understanding. Let's see Yaakov's message. This is what Yaakov says to them. Shimon v'levi achim. Shimon and Levi, your brothers. Now what's that supposed to mean? Obviously they're brothers. <laughs> All of them were brothers. We know that they're brothers. He means that they have this kinship, they have this common denominator. And what's the common denominator? Kleichamas mecheresehem. Mecheresehem means weapons. And weapons, so literally we translated, their weapons were stolen. He's translating it a little differently. Shem tamid biyiragdayla. Their weapons are full of chamas, full of the need. They're always robbing themselves. They're always challenging themselves. They're always taking away from themselves what is theirs. They're always delegitimizing themselves. They're always finding where they went wrong. They can't forgive themselves. They're always finding their flaws. They have this tremendous year, this tremendous awe and fear of Hashem. So they're angry. They're angry at themselves. They're agitated with themselves. They have these weapons. They're very tough. They're very harsh. They're fighting with themselves. They're angry at themselves. And he calls them clay chamas. <coughs> They're weapons of, of, of robbery. Where robber comes and he takes away what is yours. He challenged, always challenging it. It's an agitating experience. V'yikare beloshen ashkenaz frum. In German, we call this frum. Here he's capturing it. In other words, we say a from means from religious. But from here, he's describing a certain type of personality. Somebody that their from kite is so intense. People, they cannot mingle with people. They can't be integrated with people. They don't understand people. They can't tolerate people. They don't relate to people. Again, because they're upset at themselves. And I can't waste my time. And you also can't connect because you're in a, you're, there's a negativity there. They remain isolated. His baidados means they're alone. And they live in a secret place, meaning they live in an insulated oasis, in a bubble. They can't, there's, there's no smooth energy of, of love, of affection, of integration. And I want to go off for a moment and use this word from what he means. Some people really feel that way. As somebody mentioned before in the comments, this was Reb Mendel from Toronto says, that sometimes you see that a person feels that to be real, be really, really from, to have real Yerushalayim, it means that a certain part of me is, is depressed, a certain part of me is angry, is agitated, is miserable. How could it not be? Look at this crazy world. And look at this crazy self. How can I not be agitated? 
How can I be forgiving? Look what Shem did. Look what this one did. In fact, sometimes a person feels that the sign of real religiosity is. Somebody once told me <laughs> that for him the sign of real religiosity is somebody who is depressed, who's fakvetched, who recoils, who retreats, who's in a very negative state. You can't smile too much. Why? Because if you smile too much, you may be lightheaded. You may be callous, you may be careless, you're apathetic, you're insensitive, you just want to chill, you don't take life seriously. If you take life seriously and you realize you're here to serve God in the Zaylam Haba, the person is very, very intense. And sometimes people feel that that is the sign of a really religious person. There's a certain misery, there's a certain agony, there's a certain negativity, there's a certain judgmentalism that seeps in. Now, at its core... The Ma'ayi V'shemer says, Shem and Levi were very great people. At its core, it may actually come from a very deep and authentic spiritual place. It can often be manifested in destructive ways. It can often be manifested in, in ways that hurt people and hurt yourself. But here he's talking about even in, a, even in an aloof and a sublime way. It's where the person really feels that the greatest form of life, this almost becomes some people's joy, is to be miserable, to be upset, to be in a bad mood. And it makes everybody around them in a bad mood. And they always justify it as a part of Avodah Hashem. I'm not saying this about Shimon and Levi, but I'm saying this is what we have to learn from this message. We sometimes use God to camouflage our own misery to camouflage our own anxiety, to camouflage the fact that I'm not ready to confront what is going on in me. And I camouflage it on God, God, and that idealism allows me to continue with my dysfunction and make everybody around me miserable. So some people really are miserable and they just live there. Some people then use their Yiddishkeit (laughs) to justify it. I'm, I'm just from. That's what he's saying here. So we use the depression and we name it holy. And then we use the name of God to justify it. That's really sad. Yes, very well said. It's interesting that we find so many different Midas in the Shvatim because they are the forefathers of all the Jewish people. Yes, so whatever will happen in Jewish history is going to come out in the Shvatim. So now let's see what happens. Yaakov speaks to them and he says, You guys are very tough. <laughs> Your weapons are weapons. They're weapons of war and they're weapons of Hamas. They rob you and others from joy. They rob you and others from simcha, from relaxation, from, from enthusiasm, from an inspiration. You guys live in secrecy. You guys live in isolation. My soul should not join your secrets. I do not want this behavior. My soul, nafshi is my soul, my desire. Cannot really join this lifestyle if he show me situ the mother because it's ultimately rooted in the realm of depression. And even though they also get together, 
they can also have a fabreng. Not often, but once in a while. Even when they get together, it's with melancholy. It's not that they get together with agishmak, with a joy, with a fluidity. It's not, it's not there. There's always this heaviness. And again, we're talking here about great people. Sometimes it's manifested in very crude and ridiculous and narcissistic ways, but we're talking here even about great people. So he says, Your life is in a side. You're segregated. You can't be with others. My soul can't join it. I, I don't want, I'm telling you, Shimon and Levi, this is not where my nefesh can be because it's too heavy. It's too negative. Ultimately, Yiddishkeit is about simcha. It's about joy. It's about positive energy. It's about seeing the light and the hope and the positivity and accentuating it and building on it. Do we need introspection? Yes. Do I need to do tshuva? Yes. Do I need to sometimes criticize myself or criticize others and tell them the truth? Absolutely. This is not about everything is good and everything is wonderful and everything is dandy and if I made a serious mistake I don't have to make amends. That's not what he's saying. Saying even if you have to make amends, but afterwards it brings to simcha. So even when they get together, sometimes they get together. They also have their conferences. He says, but even then, what's missing is that sense of chavershaft. And Ibn Kalimus Kalman here is describing what the Hasidim in the first generations, the Balsham Tevinta instituted, what we call today a fabrengen, a real one. We're not talking about a drinking party, but a real Fabrengen, which is the forerunner of the 12-step program, where people come together in a state of serenity, of tranquility, most importantly of positivity, to encourage people, to inspire people. This is what he means, literally it means, in their kehillah, in their assembly, my kavod, my honor, will not join. But he says it's deeper than that. Why? The word teichad means joy, like it says in Parashat Yisra, Yisroi rejoiced, like chedva, happiness, right? We say in the Sheva Brachas, right? What's the Lashon? Gila, Rina, Ditsa, Vechedva. It says, in their kehillah, even when they come together, my kavod is not rejoicing over there. My presence can't rejoice there. Because what's missing is the sense of simcha. There is so much negative, there's so much despondency. So Yaakov continues, Arur apam ki az. Cursed is their apam. Cursed be their anger because it's so fierce. Says the Mar Vishemesh. Yaakov is actually explaining. Pirish Mashem Bekas Kalkachum Ipne Az Vein Oiz Elatirik and the Ksiva Shemoiz Lamayit and the Hainu Kanal Raisa the Kamaratchalu. He's saying, I want you to know who you guys are. I know where your anger is coming from. Arur Apam. You're cursed as your anger, ki oz. It's so fierce. But the word oz, fierceness, confidence, strength, represents Torah. Chazal say, ain oz, ela Torah. It says, Hashem oz, la'amayite. In other words, it's the Torah that makes you angry. It's the Torah that makes you upset. Arur apam ki az. Even though it's az, it comes from the Torah. Ki would mean, even though. 
or because your apam, your anger is coming because of Torah. It's because of you're so upset at yourself. Not that you're upset at people, you're upset at yourself. You're very, very harsh with yourself, and therefore you're also harsh with others. People feel it. I get it. And then he continues and says, their anger is relentless. It's, it's kosha, it's hard. And he says, Look in the Medrash, how the Medrash explains what these words mean, that their wrath was very harsh. It fits in very well with what we're saying. You know that why their anger is so relentless? You know why their wrath is so heavy? Because they have very serious years Hashem. Their life is hard. They're trying to do the right thing. Life is hard. The fires are raging. The powers of promiscuity and negativity are there. It's so easy to be derailed. It's hard. That's why they're angry. They always are intense. They're always alert. You know, when you're in a war zone, you have to be on alert. You can't just uh, <laughs> relax. They're upset at themselves. Feel that I always did something wrong. I did an Aveira, and they're very introspective, and they always find something. So this creates an internal sense of agitation, a lack of satisfaction, and they look down at people who are relaxed or are happy because it means you don't take life seriously. So Yaakov is explaining to them who they are. Wow. You can't just tell people not to be them. Explain to them what's happening. There's always this voice in you that's trying to say, that if you really want to serve God, if you really have Yeris Hashem, this is the right mindset. It's so important because Yaakov is not just telling them, don't do it. He's explaining the beauty of it, the depth of it. They're trying to protect something. They're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to protect their world. They're trying to protect their sister. They're trying to protect their family. That's why they're so upset at Shechem. That's why they're so upset at Yosef. So you know what Yaakov tells them? He says, Chevra, I get it. But I want to tell you what you, I want you to do. Unbelievable words. What are his last words to them? I'm going to divide you guys among Jacob and scatter you among Yisrael. Ah, listen to these words. Al-Kain Omar. Achal kem b'yakov v'afitzim b'yisrael da'hainu she'yiyu mu'uravim da'itamim abriyas. I'm going to send you around to be with Jews. Learn about people. Be with people. Mix your minds with people. Become integrated with people. The Gemara says in Ksuvis Yudzayin, La'olam te'idaytay shaladam u'revis im abriyas. It speaks there about the argument between Shammai, Shammai and Beis Hillel. Right? How you praise a kala during her wedding. So Beis Shammai says, each kala you praise her according to her genuine qualities. And Beis Hillel says, no, you say, kala nova chasuda, she's gracious and beautiful. Asks Beis Shammai, what if she's not? Beis Hillel says, if somebody buys something from the store, you compliment it or you criticize it? You compliment it. Because a person has to be integrated with other people. You have to tune into people. 
So Yaakov Avinu says, I'm going to divide them. You have to fabreng with Yidin. You have to spend time with the Jews. You can't stay in your bubble. You only know about life from your own perspective. You have to learn about what people go through. You have to understand what people's lives are like. You have to be integrated with Yidin. You'll see God in every soul, in every heart, in every mind. And your attitudes will be developed. Your horizons will expand. And he uses two words. There are Jews who are called Yaakov, there are Jews who are called Yisrael. You may think, okay, I'll integrate with certain individuals who are called Yisrael. You know, great, great sages, great personalities. Says, no, Achal can be Yaakov. I'm going to split you up to go around with to Yaakov's. People who are on a more basic level, they're called Yaakov. Yaakov means a heel. And people who are of a great spiritual stature, they're called Yisrael. All of them, learn to connect to them. Don't make differences. You have to learn about the Yaakov's of the world. You have to learn about the Yisrael's of the world. Because everybody carries the light of Hashem in a unique way. Everybody has something to teach you. Everybody has something amazing inside their life, something beautiful, something inspiring. Learn to connect, learn to listen. Ah, you say, you're wasting your time. It's not Hashem's service. That's what Yaakov says, no, this is sometimes a deeper form of Avedis Hashem. I, but I'm too upset. That's why you have to learn to be integrated with people. And this is the true, wholesome way of serving Hashem. As we explained, and get into this more. These are the final words of Yaakov to Shimon and Levi. He's not just chastising them and telling them that, that uh, <laughs> they did this and they did that and just talking about their negativity. That's not what he's doing. He's challenging them, but he's challenging them from a place of understanding them, even complimenting them, complimenting their wrath, complimenting their anger, complimenting their agitation, really empathizing with it, understanding it, and understanding what it's trying to accomplish. And by the way, this is so true psychologically as well. The only way you can get rid of your internal critic, or at least (laughs) have him calm down a little bit, is by understanding it. If you scream at your internal critic, oh, whoa, whoa, try it, try it. Next time your internal critic criticizes you, you start telling me, you're so cute, driving me crazy, stop criticizing me. Oh, is he going to get you? Oh, is he going to get you? I shouldn't criticize you when you're such an idiot. And look what you just did. You're telling me that I shouldn't criticize you when you know what a liar you are. (laughs) You understand? He's going to use your criticism of the internal critic as the greatest weapon of internal criticism. Your very criticism of him is going to become the greatest tool in his hand to criticize you, to cut you down. You're going to have to understand him. And you have to understand what he's trying to protect. And then you can invite him to let go, because that which he's trying to protect is going to be protected. This is various forms today of therapy, internal family systems, IFS, internal family systems, and other forms of of therapy today focus very much on this. It's a very, 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 very profound ideas. And it's really based, Tanya 
often discusses, you know, the whole idea that the tzaddik transforms the animal soul into the godly soul because the animal soul is not bad. It's not evil. It's trying to protect you. It's trying to survive. So you can appreciate what it is and then you can invite it to let go of holding on to old stuff and then it can become your greatest ally in your, in your oneness. So this is the approach. Yaakov is not just knocking them because it doesn't work. You're talking about deep emotions. The Kutzker Rebbe once said, if you cut a taiva, if you cut your taiva, you make from one, two. If you cut your addiction, your craving, yeah, a mitzab- he said, when you break your craving, what happens when you break a matzah? From one, you have two. You can't just break it. You have to, you have to work with it. You have to understand it. You can discipline yourself not to fall prey to it. But ultimately, transformation comes from deep awareness, deep self-awareness. Questions. Questions. Beautiful. Is Yaakov's ultimate blessing to them, giving them self-awareness so they can use this to grow? Absolutely, absolutely. Yaakov is, is, is making them aware of what's going on. And Yaakov is also explaining where it's coming from. And then Yaakov is saying, let me tell you what to do. You gotta connect to people. Don't now go in again into hiding and criticizing the world and yourself. Don't go into this mode of melancholy and dejection and isolation and you can't trust anybody. No, connect, connect. What's the advice for somebody who is like this by nature? We learned that the midas are part of a person's identity. If a person is by nature an agitated person, how do you use this midah for the service of God in a positive way? And also, how does he learn to be more besimcha if his nature is rooted in yira? Didn't you say a few times that you can't change your midas? We learned in the Maimir of Shlach, Tavshin Tesvav, in the summer that you can't change your midas. So what if a person is by nature this agitated person? Okay, excellent question. Your primal drives are not agitated. Your primal innate drives may be focused on yira, but yira doesn't mean agitation. Yira means you're in awe of life. Yira means you cherish structure, you cherish discipline, not, not agitation. The agitation is usually coming because of something that is wounded, a message you told yourself at a very young age, an impaired core belief about yourself, a trauma, so it's important to distinguish. We want to work on our middas. Yes, my innate primal drives, I'm not going to change. I don't have to change them. On the contrary, I want to be aware of them and harness them. But the agitation, the feeling of negativity about yourself that is incessant is not something you have to live with forever, for eternity. I may have to know how to deal with it, and for a while it may be really part of my life, and you have to be compassionate towards it. But it's ultimately something that I want to be able to grow from and grow with and reach a place of much deeper simcha, of much deeper self-acceptance. Self-acceptance doesn't mean I'm not upset about something I did wrong. I am upset about what I did wrong. But that upsetness doesn't ruin my core and doesn't make me believe that I am the wrong thing essentially. The challenge for humans is that a lot of negative things can masquerade as holiness and vice versa. And it can be hard to tell the difference sometimes. You once shared this idea, I think it comes from the Tanya, 
that the way to tell the difference is to look at the results. If introspection breeds negative feelings, then it's coming from the Yetzirah. If the thought inspires, encourages, motivates, brings more light, more joy, then it's a holy thought. Yes, well said. Can we say that Yaakov Avinu's prophecy, what he was telling Shimon and Levi is that they have to integrate with the people, is this connected to the fact that Levi served in the Beis HaMikdash? Yeah, the Balatanya writes in Torah or Parshas B'Shalach and in other places, Parshas B'Shalach, Parshas Kairach, that Levi was given the avoida of singing. They were in charge on the daily concertos in the Beis HaMikdash. They were vocalists, they were musicians, which really represents the klois hanefesh, the yearning, <laughs> the yearning to go upwards, the need, the desire to escape and flee from the material world and transcend into the oneness. So there is this element of gvura, like fire that rises upwards, that is embedded into the spiritual DNA of Levi, that fits very, very well, very well with this. The word shimen also comes from the word shmia, which means listening, perceptiveness. There's a lot of perceptiveness, like shma Yisrael. Levi also comes from the word yilava, pam yilava ishi, my husband now will be part of me, he'll accompany me. So it's represented by dveikos, a wanting for oneness with Hashem. And therefore, maybe they're agitated by the world. Levyasin is also connected to that. Levyasin is in the water. Look at the Torah of Shmini. We once learned a moment about Levyasin and Sherabai. You remember souls that are Nune Yama the Aslan Beyabeshta, the fish of the sea that that walk in dry land, but they're essentially in Alma Discussions, they're submerged in the water, they don't want to be visible. So this is all this concept on, on higher levels. Reb Daniel sent me last night a beautiful type from the Kajnitz Amagid. It says in Pirkei You have to pray for the welfare of the king. Right? Because if not for the fear of the Melech, people will swallow each other alive. So the Kajnitz says spiritually, it means Hashem, you have to daven for, for Malchus Shemaim. For Hashem's oneness to be revealed in the world. Malchus. What's the Malchus? Malchus is that Hashem is a Melech, that you need Yira. Because if you don't have Yira, if you only have Ava, you can, uh, you can uh, melt away in Klois HaNefesh with love. Like Nadav you crave the infinite and, and a person could swallow up another person alive because of Klois HaNefesh. So you need Yira. So there's a very delicate balance. Sometimes we speak about Yira this way, sometimes we speak about Ava this way, but there is this tension that I want to go up and I want to be swallowed up and then I have to come down. It's called Ratzai and Shaif. So generally it says in Kabbalah and Chassidus that the Levim were associated with Ratzai, with a yearning upwards. It's also explained in Tanya chapter 50. And that's all consistent with this idea in a much higher level. The need, the desire to, to, to ascend and then there is Achal can be Yaakov, Afitzim be Yisrael, to be connected to people. Also, if you remember our Fabrengen last year, Chavdala Tevis, 5781, it's on the net. we spoke at length about what Alter Rebbe said, the difference of an Oivid and a Maskel and Atzilus, and the story of Yom Kippur when he took off his talus and he went to help the woman, that was also the, there was a whole shmu. somebody reminded me that we, we focused on this theme. We have to come to realize that we are both negative and positive. We're kind and mean, we're good and bad, we're quiet and loud, 
etc. It's at the center point and integration of these both sides of ourselves that we are real, that we are authentic. We are our true, authentic selves. You don't have to deny anything. You have to learn to integrate. Thank you. The work involves understanding, acknowledging, and honoring the protective emotional parts of ourselves, while understanding that there are other emotional parts of ourselves, loving, desire of connections, longing, grief, that have been placed in exile as a result of the protective parts. The work is to integrate all of our emotional parts. That's beautifully said. I think that's in IFP, right? IFS. Which means, we, we, and this is really it's such a fundamental idea in, in Jewish spirituality and chassidus, that parts of us are in exile. And geula means liberating all of our parts. Geula means none of your parts have to be hidden away in exile anymore. So you have to understand what's going on. You have to acknowledge. You have to honor the protective emotional parts. It's like <laughs> the scab or the crust that grows in order to protect something under it. And it doesn't want you to see it. The banana peel is protecting the banana. The walnut shell is protecting the walnut as is the orange peel. You don't get angry at the peel. You have to understand it. You have to understand what it's protecting. And you have to understand the emotional parts that went into hiding, that went into exile. They have become isolated. We don't have access to them. They have been hidden away because it was too painful to have them there. They would have been hurt too badly. I couldn't deal with it. So I put them in exile. And now I want Gu'ula. So this is all part of the work of spiritual, psychological, emotional, personal redemption. Reb Zalman, questions that, are, uh, that we're taking here are connected to the Shir. The other questions you can email me about. Okay, should we take more questions? Beautiful questions, Chavra. <clears throat> what I find is that some very from people still have a lot of ego and a lot of pride. And it exists in them and their level of drumbeat. They revel in being holier than thou. They secretly peel... They secretly feel proud of themselves that they are at least in their own mind in a very high level. You could see they walk how they walk into the synagogue. They look down at people. Maybe not even consciously. Perhaps being on a high level on the from meter and still possessing pride and ego, they look down in condensation at lower levels. This can appear to them being sad, depressed. Maybe they're not sad, depressed. Maybe they just have a lot of ego and pride. And maybe sometimes it's justified because they really worked on themselves. Yeah, I get it. That's another manifestation of this. But as the Mari Vashemesh says, there's something fundamentally missing because <clears throat> when you're in a real relationship with Hashem and a real relationship with self, the holier-than-thou doesn't really work. Because holier-than-thou is you know, all about judgmentalism and all about comparing myself to you and the need to put you down to lift myself up. That's an ultimate wound that I have inside of me that I really have to work on and, and see what's happening. There's a lot of anxiety in my service of God. The Mahavish is not even addressing this. He's talking about not the concept of holier-than-thou, but just the concept of 
real internal challenging myself to the point of I am agitated inside. And therefore, I demand that from people as well. I don't think he's talking about here more of a superficial, holier-than-thou attitude, but it's certainly one more manifestation of this, where in the name of Frumkite, I can't connect to people, I can't really enjoy people, I can't really enjoy myself, that's the problem. And when you can't enjoy yourself, you can't enjoy anybody else. Maybe the idea of Torah making them agitated is that people who are totally oblivious to the deeper things in life are bothered by inexplicable pain and suffering because they generally live a more superficial life, so they don't think about things. In the midst of agonizing over deep philosophical questions, Woody Allen asks a happy-go-lucky couple how they manage, and they answer, we are very superficial and nothing bothers us. That's a way of living. Maybe the Talmud Chachim struggles with the deepest questions and problems of the world. These questions have no answers on our level. Like, why do good people suffer? Why do bad people prosper? Perhaps the fact that these questions and problems have no answers, and Talmidei Chachamim grapple with these questions, this causes profound agitation and pain and melancholy and dejection. So Talmud Chachim is somebody who is very sensitive to deeper questions. It's a very good point you're making. In fact, I once read an article, I think, by Sivan Rahav Meir, or maybe somebody, yeah, I think, that when she became a Balchuva, I think, she met Rabbi Adin Steinzalt, Rabbi Adin Evan Yisrael, and he said to her, don't think that becoming religious, becoming a Balchuva means that your questions get answered. It just means that you have deeper questions. Some people say that Frum is an acronym of Philrishus Venik Mitzvahs. <laughs> A lot of wickedness and a few mitzvahs. Well, sometimes that's sad. That's what he's describing, right? Sometimes people think being from means being aloof, being segregated from others. But it's these two brothers, after what is done to Dina, who acted upon it and they sought revenge with a plan. They don't seem so aloof and segregated. They seem like very, very involved. Um. Yeah, they certainly had a plan and were involved. They obviously had a practical side to them. But the point is that they were so agitated because of their lack of tolerance of any evil. Question, how does this connect to the fact that later in the story, in the desert, it's the tribe of Shimon, 24,000 people in the tribe of Shimon, that justify adultery of Zimri and Cosby, who was a Midianite woman. And that's when Pinchas goes and kills Zimri. These are the same this is the same tribe of Shimon. Wow, it's a good question. It's a good question. Maybe maybe the answer is that sometimes, I'm not sure, but maybe sometimes when a person gets so agitated and then they crack, they go to the other extreme because it's not fully integrated. You know, when I'm so demanding on myself and I plot, then I act down in the opposite extreme. So you really have to have a balance. Maybe, maybe that's what happened. I don't understand. Somebody commented that the more from somebody is, sometimes they think that that's a reason to be more miserable. Why? Isn't from Jewish religious devotion? How can being devoted make somebody miserable? I'm thinking that being from does that to all who are from? What does this person mean in his comment? Remendel, you're being challenged here. I think what he meant was. It's not what really being from it. Being from means being a, a from a yid means, as you said, 
devoted to Torah, devoted to Judaism, devoted to God, devoted to Jewish law. But when it's not studied or internalized in the proper way, it can become a cover-up for misery. That's what he meant. You asked before, does this message resonate? I tell myself, I am worthy because that is what I have learned from Torah, from Chassidus. Is that cerebral? Is that real? Do I really feel worthy or do I think worthy? Many of us think worthy, but we don't feel worthy. I don't struggle with feeling worthy at my core or not, but I do feel often unworthiness in our bubble from the rigid ways of our communities. On the other hand, if I truly felt worthy, would I be bothered? Maybe I'm bothered because I don't really feel worthy. If I really feel worthy, at my core, would I be judgmental of the people I consider to be holier than thou, krum frum? Or am I discerning the truth? Or is it may, may really reflect in my own insecurity? Does my discernment protect me? Maybe, because I don't want to face my own insecurity. Am I too much in my brain? If I spend time accepting my feelings of unworthiness in our community and being kind to myself for it, I could accept that there are Shimon and Levies among us and then let, let, let them intimidate me. Bottom line, all of this resonates. Reb Aaron, we have to be careful and have a lot of bittel and rachmanas for people. Don't judge externalities because sometimes people who look like they think they're holier than thou, are hurting inside. Sometimes you look at a person, it looks like he has a healthy ego, he's all proud of himself, there's a lot of inner spiritual pride, he walks into shul, he feels holier than other people, but really deep down he's smashed and devastated and crushed and there's nothing there, and it's just his little shell to protect him, so just have compassion for him too. Beautiful Rebaran, you're an ambassador of love. Underneath my ego and my pride, somebody says, is fear and dread. My protective measure is detachment, detachment from people. But ultimately, there is a forlorn desire and attachment. We need to take it out of exile. This class really deserves a song and a circle dance with hands clasped afterwards. Ah, Chavre, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful comments and feedback and questions. What a lovely conversation today. Ah, what a lovely conversation. Okay, next comment or question. As a recovering overthinker, I appreciate this class. Always a good reminder. I love that. A recovering overthinker. Gewaldik. Is that your own phrase? <laughs> You know, you have recovering alcoholics, recovering other forms of addiction. This is a recovering overthinker. Very good, very good. I like. How do I deal with all of this inside of me, the expectations and projections of ourselves and to others? Happens when we make Hashem the monster in the sky, and expect children and ourselves to live up to Torah ideals that are meant to be attained over a lifetime. So we create all of these expectations and projections. We need to be sensitive to reality. 
I agree with Rab Anan, people who feel holier than thou might be hurting inside. And people have to realize this and help them overcome it. But you will only do it if you yourself are not trapped in your own exile. And you can have compassion for your own lack of worthiness. And then you can really embrace yourself and find yourself. And then you can really be there for other people who need to feel holier than other people simply to tell themselves that they're worthy. Feel compassion, but the only way you will do that is if you really are self-aware. Chesidus is the antidote to overthinking. It cuts right to the truth of reality. It appreciates the brain, but doesn't allow us to worship our brains and get caught up there. The brain is a tool for reality. Beautiful. Okay, I love you all. Sending love and blessings and light. What a message. Achalkem b'yakoiv ha'afitzim b'yisrael. Achalkem b'yakoiv ha'afitzim b'yisrael. To be able to have a geshmak in Tevetanayidin. To be able to really experience the delight in, in being there for a person and lifting up a person and doing a favor for another Jew. The Baal Shem Tev says a soul comes down for 70, 80 years to do one favor to a Jew, spiritually or physically. The Piyasetzner Rebbe said, Yidalach, Gedenkt, Shoin, the greatest thing in the world is to do somebody else a favor. Yeah, yeah, he was very connected to the Mari Vashemesh. That's a chalkeim b'yakoiv, v'afitzeim b'yisrael. You have to fabreng with the Yaakovs. You have to spread yourself around. Your futsu, afitzeim. Go to Yaakov, go to Yisrael. Go learn about Yidin. Learn about Yidin. Embrace Jews, hug them, lift them up, watch them. <coughs> Somebody once shared with me, his name is Rabbi Shmuley Hecht, Yale, Rabbi Yale. He once visited Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, Adin Evan Yisrael, and he asked him, who should he go meet in Jerusalem, whom he can be inspired by and guided by? He was looking for the great sages and personalities living in Jerusalem. Rabbi Adin told him, the great people of Jerusalem you're going to find in the barber shops and in the cleaners, and in the kioskim, you know, the little grocery stands, and the vendors, and the tailors, and the shoemakers, and those selling lafas and fruits, the simple Jews going to shul, going here, going to the kaisel. Very simple, very modest. Don't seem to be very interesting or colorful or, <clears throat> or fascinating, intriguing personalities. He says, go hang out with them. Spend time with them. Listen to them. And you're going to learn the most important things about life. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, they're everywhere, but certainly in Yerushalayim. It's taka, you know, you have people, they live very modest lives. Many of them came with nothing, endured difficult circumstances and situations. You watch them walking in the streets of Yerushalayim, sometimes with a cane, older people, going into the same store that they have been visiting for 40 years, 50 years, since the liberation of Jerusalem. But you see the Shekhinah on their face, a simplicity, 
And you can learn a lot from these people. A commitment, a dedication, a faith in God. I remember I once needed a taxi in Israel. Many years ago I was there. It was the middle of the night. I finished a lecture. My ride didn't show up. They ordered me a taxi. A taxi from Tel Aviv back to Yerushalayim. It was three in the morning. Anyway, I went into the taxi. <laughs> and I was a little afraid because the person <laughs> wasn't wearing a kippah. And he had a darker complexion. I didn't know if he's a Jew or an Arab. You know, I didn't know if it was safe. It was the time of the <laughs> intifad. I was afraid. Uh, and then he puts on, <laughs> he asked me if I mind, if he puts on the things that he listens to. I said, no, put it on. I was, I was hoping, let me hear what it's going to be. Maybe it'll be a sheer for me. <laughs> and then I'll calm down. And he puts on a recording of Tehillim. A recording of Tehillim. Somebody, a Yemenite Jew, saying the whole Tehillim. In a Yemenite accent and sing-song. I say, what's this? He says, listen. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't go to shul. I'm not very religious. But I want to say Tehillim to Hashem. So in my taxi journeys, I have this recording. Somebody says Tehillim, and I listen to their words. I said, how many times do you go through the Tehillim a day? And he says, four or five. Do you hear the baron? Here's a Jew in the middle of the night driving a taxi. <laughs> you look at him, he's completely not connected. But he listens to the whole recording of Tehillim four or five times a day. Because, you know, he goes on long journeys. Whatever it takes the Yemenites, they have a good a good havara. So it took an hour, an hour and a half. Over his hours, that's what he listens to. And I felt so humbled. You know, I walk into the car and I was hesitant. Who is he? Am I safe? Am I not safe? It would have been so much more comfortable with me, you know, if he would have had a beard and payas and a big yamulka. But it just showed me that you never know where you're going to find the presence of God, the presence of truth, the presence of love. That's what Avram said. Don't go away from me when I'm giving mustard and tongue to my guests. Don't go away from me. You don't know where you find God. Sometimes you encounter God in prayer and in transcendence and in Torah study and in meditation. And sometimes you encounter God in the face of a stranger, in a taxi ride. If you would tell me to say the whole Tehillim a whole day, uh, every single day, the whole Tehillim, we do Tehillim once a month, Shabbos Mavarcha. And I'm not always in the mood. And here's a Jew every single day, four or five times. <laughs> ah, Yidin, Yidin, you understand? This you can only get from mixing with people. You have, to, you have to learn about people. You can't get this in your bubble. There's things you have on your own. Everybody has their own unique relationship and you need that privacy and that confidentiality and that inner core. But ah, There's a Rebetzin here from Texas who writes, The sincerity and courage I witness in Jews I encounter rivals much of what we see in regular religious life, absolutely inspiring. 
Yeah, we see this all the time. It's beautiful. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. Have an amazing day. God willing, I'm just going to announce this. Monday morning, we have our 7.30 a.m. class. That's next Monday morning. Important. Sunday night, 9.30 p.m., Rabbi Shimon Russell, the famous therapist, and myself will have a Zoom live session on Coach Menachem, the famous Lakewood Sunday evening Zoom with Asher Parnas and Coach Menachem. The question we're going to be dealing with is with why are so many teenagers miserable today and how could we help them? Rabbi, I'm going to ask the questions. Rabbi Russell hopefully is going to give some answers, but that's going to be Sunday evening, 9.30. It's also going to be streamed live on the yeshiva.net. Another important one, a week later, excuse me, Monday night, the 24th of Tevis, the Yard Set of the Alter Rebbe, we're going to have a big Zoom, myself and Rabbi Shays Taub, on teaching Tanya in our generation, how to teach Tanya how to understand it, how to live it, how to internalize it, how to teach it. That's going to be not this Monday night, but a week from this Monday night, 10 o'clock p.m., again, also on the yeshiva.net and on Zoom. Everybody is invited. You can also watch the replays of everything. Okay, in the meantime, the next class will be Sunday night, 9.30, with Rabbi Russell on Zoom and the yeshiva.net. Not this Zoom. It's going to be a different Zoom. It's the Zoom of Coach Menachem. Bye-bye. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.